0: The countdown is on to fight time. This is Big Fight Weekend.
1: Now, here is your host, T.J. Reeves. Well, the second weekend in December will be a busy one, including Terrence Crawford. Hello. Back in the ring for the first time in 2022, right at the end of 2022. In the WBO World Welterweight title defense in his hometown of Omaha, Nebraska. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about Teofimo Lopez, Being back in action, Madison Square Garden, we're going to talk about a British IBF featherweight title fight in Leeds, England, featuring Josh Warrington. Uh, We've got Hall of Fame stuff to discuss. We've got the passing of a legendary figure as the third man in the ring in Mills Lane to talk about. So glad you're with us on the Big Fight Weekend Preview headed into the weekend. I'm the somewhat capable host. Uh, Getting ready to head to San Francisco, Santa Clara, actually, with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers this weekend. So I will be kind of far away uh, from the action that will be going on well that, you know not as far away from omaha nebraska but way far away from new york hello dan rayfield from the fight freaks unite Substack and our uh, content partner on big fight weekend and the big fight weekend website uh you are slated as it stands to be at the teofimo lopez fight in new york which is a long way from california this weekend we'll both be traveling good to be back with you how are things here as we head towards the weekend with a bunch to cover oh yeah it's uh, it's uh, going to be a good weekend And it's really, I guess, kind of the last
0: weekend of the, you know, the years coming to an end anyway, but things, there's still some other fights, but this this is sort of like the last one with a lot of stuff going on. Uh, You know, there'll be the, the in a way fight a little bit during midweek. There'll be the uh, card on the 17th that Showtime has with uh, Frank Martin against Michelle Rivera, but uh, things will peter out and then we'll get ready for the new year. But I get to take those last couple of weeks and do all the uh, fun things like fight of the year and. Knockout of the Year and Fighter of the Year and Prospect of the Year and all that kind of good stuff.
1: Are you like Santa? Have you compiled your list and you're checking it twice? Have you even begun to compile some I mean, Fighter of the Year, KO of the Year? I, that sort, stuff?
0: Of, I sort of keep a, a – not as neat as I would like, but I kind of keep stuff as I go along so it's not as messy when you get to mm-hmm. the end of the year. Uh, so I can't say that the list is, like, completed. I got to go look through some things, some notes I have and that sort of stuff, but I have a fairly decent idea. I don't think there's be a lot of secrets when it comes to fighter of the year, for example, but, uh, you know, then you start, I start, I like, I really pay a lot of attention when I compile the prospects, uh, you know, list that I do usually pick about 15 or 20 and sort of put them in order. And there's, you know, that always makes me happy because I, I go back and I look at that list when I've done, uh, done it. And it makes you happy that you realize that there's a good future in boxing because you see all these talented up and coming fighters, uh, who are going to be the next generation of champions and superstars and that sort of thing. And uh, you, you start to have a positive outlook on on the sport, which has been hard, particularly because, you know, as we've discussed a couple of times here,
1: you know, it hasn't been the best year for boxing this year. So that will make me feel better. And by the way, uh, you were blasting, and rightfully so. And I got a lot of feedback, a lot, uh, different ways, different directions about the recap podcast and all the strong comments that both of us had about the Fury-Chisora fight, what was going on with Daniel Dubois and the coverage of that fight. You were bringing the heat. Well done. Uh, Again, this is why you need to be following or subscribing on the Big Fight Weekend podcast feed in addition to the preview that is usually out Friday by the Friday morning time. Dan and I make a lot of effort to have this out by Friday morning so it stays evergreen kind of on Friday and into Saturday. With all the fights and the action. Well, then we come off the weekend with the Fight Freaks Unite recap. Now, I should say to the audience so you should be following and subscribing Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. You'll get an alert, bell, ding, right, Dan? A banner, a vibrate, light. a light, yeah. something to tell you there's a new one. Now, I got to, speaking of alert, I got to alert the audience that the Fight Freaks Unite will not be happening until about midday Monday because TJ ain't physically back from the West Coast until early morning Monday. My man, Rayfield, is not a creature of the morning. So we will get this done, peeps. Just be patient. It will be a little later on Monday. We've got you spoiled. You usually have it overnight, Sunday night, into Monday morning. A lot of people outside of the country. I I can see this on our analytics with the podcast. We have some audience in other parts of the globe, so they're getting it earlier on Monday than the Monday Eastern Time, Central Time Zone audience would get it waking up. You got that right, patient. though. I, be I, patient, everybody. I am not
0: a Creature of the Morning. I am, as the title of my all-time favorite Kiss album,
1: a Creature of the Night. A <laughs> Creature of the Night. But you, do you put the black and white face paint on like uh, no. Gene Simmons? Um, can I get the rest off the top of my head? Paul Stanley? Paul Stanley. Ace Frehley? Peter Chris. Do I have them all? I you think have I them, all, them all, except all I must say, of- though,
0: in terms of Creatures of the Night, uh peter was already gone from the band at that point and the drummer was eric carr and although ace is on the album cover he didn't play on the record or go on the tour he had left the band and he was replaced by vinnie vincent so he had the new makeup on so you got the original band members right but on creatures specifically you're a little off but it's it's, that was a good shot i like it Uh, look
1: i'm not a kiss by the way to
0: digress for a moment i've been very immersed in my brand new super deluxe 40th anniversary creatures of the night box set which is absolutely phenomenal
1: if you're a kiss fan how did i turn your pilot light on accidentally like this i did not even know and i'm not a kiss guy i can't sing the lyrics to the songs i'm just aware of them and i just for whatever reason remember the names of the guys in the band and aren't they still touring i mean this they is are. amazing it's them it's the rolling stones it's all these different they groups. are on my god they're, they're, 70, they're 75 what,
0: 80 years old and they still tour they're in their late 60s early 70s but they're on what they've called the end of the road tour which got (laughs) waylaid by the pandemic they claim you know whatever you want to say that this will be the last full tour of them they may play other events here and there or maybe do a residency or something like that but in terms of like a world tour they've sworn up and down this is the last one the thing is it's been going on now for like two and a half years and i understand and i saw them before the pandemic on this end of the road tour, I've seen Kiss many times in concert. And, uh, and they, they're fantastic in, in concert. Now, they don't really play some of the deep cuts these days anymore. It's the same old set list, but they put on a great show. Listen, TJ, I've been a diehard Kiss fan since I was in probably about
1: second grade uh, in the in the mid-70s. Wait, 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 wait. Why were you allowed? You and I are the same age. Why were you allowed to listen to that and be around that in the second grade in the Rayfield household? Were you sneaking around listening to that as an eight-year-old no, or a nine-year-old? I'll tell you what happened was, I can still remember, going to,
0: going to second grade, and you'd have time where you'd sit by the record player, right. and you could plug in multiple headphones. And there right. was a day I remember maybe, those. where kids could bring in their own records from home. And there was a kid that brought in, you know, like, you know, a destroyer whatever the record was. And or, or I think it was Love Gun. And we listened to that on the turntable in like our recent, oh my God, you know, during the winter. And I found Kiss. And now, obviously, I wasn't like from second grade on all the way. But as I got to know more about, you know, rock music and pop music and all that, I, I, I liked all kinds of music. But I I've gravitated to Kiss. I've been a fan for many 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 years wow. it was reignited in the in the in the 80s when they took them when they took the makeup off i mean i'm a diehard man i've seen him in so concert see, i stumbled into this
1: audience by simply saying creature of the morning or creature of the night and who knew well i've kids. been listening to the, the creatures I'm, I'm, it's boxing perfect just came out it's perfect so, anyway. inadvertently inadvertently it was perfect we, we digress. A little bit, but it's fine it's all good um by the way my, my quote of the day has nothing to do with boxing but it does for the sports world uh, at least in the United States. Uh, I know the World Cup's going on. We got the the Copa Mundo going on, the World Cup, including Great Britain, speaking of England, and we got a lot of f- fans in the UK. And and by the way, the, the England-France uh, World Cup quarterfinal soccer match will be going on while the preliminary fights and the main event may be about to happen for the Matchroom Boxing Show in Leeds, England. Good luck on getting some attention and some audience. Again, well, they've set this show well in advance and had no idea but, but go ahead. Give me the update there on that because they got what to What they're doing it is, to have it rounded. Yeah. what Matchroom has
0: announced is that they are going to do their preliminary fights up to a certain point on the show. Then they are taking a two-hour scheduled break. <laughs> they're going to show the World Cup game in the arena in Leeds for the That's fans that amazing. are there for the fights. When the game is over, then they will start the main card and show the last three or four bouts Smart. on the show. Smart. I mean, it is smart because how do you – first of all, the people will get to who can't be present at the game, they can at least watch their their, their country's national team in this important World Cup game together in a communal atmosphere on a yep. big screen. So it'll be a, a festive atmosphere, obviously, unless they're getting their rear ends kicked. Uh, although, if I'm, I mean, not that I'm a big soccer guy, but I'm sure England is the favorite to win that game
1: um should be very competitive France is the defending World Cup champs now the interesting thing is I've okay. talked to a couple of people I, I, I don't Britain. know shit
0: about soccer it's I okay that.
1: I've talked to a couple of people in Britain and they said you cannot understand the country is going to stop everything sure. is going to stop for this game at seven local time two eastern time um it, it's Saturday night in England so it's just interesting around that card when we get to it but Again, we make mention of that's going on. The World Cup is going on. But let me get back to my quote. So I'm headed for Buccaneers and Tom Brady, the GOAT, thank you very much for the come-from-behind win on Monday Night Football, which made for TJ's happy postgame show. Because, my friend, I did not want to go into that locker room with the players, with Coach Todd Bowles, asking about blowing another game on Monday Night Football. But Brady pulled it out. So anyway... Brady talked about to the media on Thursday, and you love a good quote. You always have throughout your career. We, we we hate cliches, right? We hate stock answers. We hate, like in this case, where the Tampa Bay media says to Tom Brady, what do you think about going back to San Francisco? You're a Northern California guy to play the 49ers. We would hate if the stock answer was, hey, you know, we just treat this as another game. You know, it's not that big a deal, right? All the stock answers you hear in boxing. I had a great training camp. You know, I respect my opponent. Everything's hunky-dory. You know, the promoter hasn't screwed me out of money before. All those are boring answers, right? You feeling me? All those are boring answers. So they asked Tom Brady about the 49ers. And he says, listen, I grew up a 49er fan. Speaking of KISS, he goes, I grew up a Joe Montana fan. Remember how the 49ers, if you're not familiar now with American football, or if you're like uh, under the age of 30, you don't know this. The 49ers killed everybody in the 80s and won the Super Bowl over and over again with Joe Montana. So Brady and his family had seats, as he described it on Thursday. He said, hey, we were in the upper level, nosebleed, season ticket holders. He goes, I went over and over and over again as a kid. I dreamed of playing the 49ers. And he goes, and guess what? They passed me up in the 2000 draft, or 2001 draft, six times. Six rounds of the draft, they never took me, and New England took me. He goes, I hate the San Francisco 49ers now. What a quote. Now the Tampa Bay media, the national media has taken off with that. He was somewhat joking, but I saw the look on his face. He's like, they passed over me six times. I hate the San Francisco 49ers. Listen, Tom Brady has been around long enough. He doesn't say stuff like that by accident. No. And hey, great quote. This is what we want. Instead of cliches, it kind of builds up to the game because this is arguably the final time he will play against the 49ers, unless you believe the conspiracies that he's going to go play for the 49ers and play one more year. But we'll see. We'll see what happens uh, for that game. So anyway, we love great quotes. We've digressed. We've talked KISS. We've talked football. We've talked World Cup soccer. Hey, let's get into the boxing. Hall of Fame class, International Boxing Hall of Fame 2023 is out. You've written about it on your sub stack. Uh, I put something up on the Big Fight Weekend website. We, we know about Tim Bradley, Carl Frosch. We know about uh, Rafael Marquez, uh, the long list of out-of-the-ring accomplishments and executives. You've written about it. Say a little more about that, but then I'm curious on your ballot— was there a name or two that you really believe should have been there and is not there? So go ahead, well,
0: Dan, it's yours. The, the thing about the,
1: the boxing wall fame, let's talk specifically about the, the
0: marquee category, which is the modern men. That's the category that Bradley Marquez and Frotch were elected in. When you're an elector, like I have been for the better part of 20 or 21 years or something like that, you can vote for five people on the ballot. The ballot uh, is comprised of about 40 or so names. I think 42 names. I actually ran a picture of my ballot with my check marks in my Substack. stack. Uh, that was special for my paid subscribers. Uh, there's a little plug. In any mm-hmm. event, uh, you can vote for five, but they only elect three. The only way you get more than three is if there's another, if four people or more would achieve 80% of the vote because the boxing hall the does not do a percentage threshold the way they do, say, for example, in Major League Baseball, where if you get above 75%, you're elected. And if you don't get in, you're not elected. So the boxing hall of fame has it set. And I've had my um, discussions with, uh, uh with uh, the director of the hall of fame, Ed Brophy, who's a friend of mine for many years. uh, am just, you know, my thoughts about how they do it. And we have had a good dialogue. I feel like it should be a threshold vote. What they do is they elect the top three uh of the group that are on that ballot. So Frotch and, and uh Timothy Bradley and Rafael Marquez were actually three, of the people that I did vote for on this ballot. So you said, are there other people that I feel should be in? Now there are literally on that ballot, about a dozen people that I would like to vote for, but I haven't voted for them or been able to, because I always find I run out of space and I'm not the kind of guy to play. I used to kind of play games where I'm going to just vote for this guy and maybe he'll get in. I just vote for who I think are the top guys. So in the recent years, we got an influx of great talent, like a Mayweather, like a Miguel Cotto, like a Klitschko, Marquez, Bernard Hopkins, Shane Mosley, all these guys have been elected in the last few years. It was sort of like a convergence of the Hall of Fame, changing their threshold from waiting five years from your last fight to get in, uh, to be eligible for the ballot, to waiting three years, which they did about three years ago. So the combination of that threshold being lowered from five to three years, plus lots of good quality candidates that happen to retire or not have a fight for that length of time, it really clogged up the ballot. Now it's been, excuse me, it's been thinned out a little bit over the last few years. Mm -hmm. And so now it was finally time for Bradley Frotch and Rafael Marquez. Bradley, I've been singing his praises for years. Uh, I'll die on that hill. He belongs in the Hall of Fame. I'm happy he's in the Hall of Fame now. Same thing with Carl Frotch. But there were two other guys I did vote for uh, that I feel should be in also. And there's other guys I'd like to vote for. Uh, But the two I voted for in particular that did not make it in, Ivan Ironboy Calderon, who is, as I have written and said many times, the greatest strawweight of all time, not named Ricardo Lopez or Roman Chocola Tito Gonzalez? He was a master boxer, an Olympian. Uh, there was a six or seven or eight-year period of time in the uh, 2000s where we used to joke at ringside: it was death, taxes, and Calderon by wide decision, because <laughs> the guy outboxed everybody, and he fought a whole shitload of guys that were either former champions or reigning champions or future champions. I mean, granted that those weight classes, at straw weight, and then he later won a championship at junior flyweight, not as deep necessarily as some of the other divisions. And even the good quality opponents there were not well known to the mainstream, but he beat a lot of guys. He won a bunch of titles. uh, He beat a lot of former champions and he was even as a straw weight, he was small. And so when he went up to even just three pounds to junior flyweight, he was even smaller and he hung in with everybody until the very end of his career. Where he got knocked out by the much much stronger and bigger Giovanni Segura in a game a good fight actually the first time around. So to me Calderon is should be a lock. He was uh, I said a Puerto Rican Olympian. He may not be on the level of Puerto Rican fighters as a Cotto or a Trinidad or a, you know a Gomez or Camacho or Luis Ortiz. He's at that he's the next like next best let's say. And I voted for another Puerto Rican fighter who was on that same level which is the great Wilfredo Vasquez Sr., who had a long career from 1981 yep. to 2002, uh, won titles in three weight classes, uh, has a victory, uh, a great victory, against the Hall of Famer Orlando Canizales, you know, beat Chan Young Park, <coughs> Raul Perez. I mean, he was around for a long time and had a lot of good fights. Um, you know, he had a knockout against Rojas in uh, 1996 in a featherweight title defense. That was the knockout of the year. I mean, he was a really class fighter. He had great power with both hands. Uh, and look, it's a deep ballot. There's other fighters on there I'd like to vote for. I mean, it's Darius Mikolchevsky, Gennaro Hernandez, Nigel Ben, and Chris Eubank, and Casamayor, yep. Ricky Haddon, you know, Jorge Arce, one of the great action fighters of all time in my mind. Uh, you know, Vuyani Bungu, not a big name, but the guy was like one of the best fighters ever from South Africa, defended the junior featherweight title like uh, 13 times, I want to say. Uh, so there's a lot of good quality guys on the ballot. Now, the reason for this year for those guys that were the holdovers to get elected was because the three new fighters that went on the ballot that replaced, I believe it was Roy Jones. And I forget the other two that were, I guess, uh, uh, Cotto and James Toney. Uh, when the, those three were elected, they put three new guys on. They put on Arthur Abraham, Omar Narvaez. And I can't remember who the third one was off the top of my head. But they were guys. Oh, Michael Nunn. Uh, who probably should have been on years ago. Those three guys all have a case that they can make, but I didn't anyway any way feel really like I got to vote for one of these guys on the first ballot. It's not like when you see Floyd Mayweather or sure. Klitschko or, or or Andre Ward or Miguel Cotto where you're like, oh, yeah, they're first ballot guys. So, uh, you know, Narvaez I'll probably never vote for for a lot of reasons. Um, Abraham was really good. I don't know if he rises to the level of being in the Hall of Fame. Michael Nunn had a hell of a career and probably should be mm-hmm. a Hall of Famer. But again, I don't feel like pressure to vote for him now when I feel like there's other guys ahead of all three of them on the depth chart. So that was my thought process. So I'm glad that the three top guys that got in deserved it, Bradley, Marquez, and Frotch. And I'm hopeful that Vasquez Sr. and uh, and Iron Boy Calderon, especially Iron Boy Calderon, I hope he gets
1: in. He was a masterful boxer. All right, I'll let you get a drink of water because, again, you're playing a little hurt with the cough. We got all that going. We're good. And again, I encourage everybody, go read Dan's stuff not only substack we've got it on bigfightweekend.com as well where you can read his thoughts on uh will, why this class and who from this class and all the particulars it's a big deal and again they'll do the induction next summer at the turning stone june. resort right next june is when they'll do the induction uh for the boxing hall of fame we've got so much to get to we but, want to move it along and spend some well, time like on Hall go, of Fame. yeah go yeah. ahead
0: in the other categories there's so much I was so happy with some of the people that were elected, people that I voted for, people right. I've known. So, in like the non participant, again, you can vote for five, but they elect two. Uh, uh, or I take it back, they elect three. So, the people that were elected are tremendous people to be in. I mean, they deserve it. Joe Goosen, the trainer on the ballot for the first time, uh, just had trained, you know, trained Michael right. Munn, trained, you know, the Ruelas brothers, was in the corner uh, on the night that he was the corner man for Diego Corrales when he had the great comeback against Castillo and what many consider the the greatest uh, fight of all time had the classic line where they brought Corrales to the corner in round 10 to replace the mouthpiece and Joe with the beautiful shirt on, as he always wears. I, Joe, I texted him. I said, you better pick a sweet shirt for your inductions. We were joking around (laughs) on my text message and he just looked at him and it's on the, on the audio on Showtime. That's as classic as it gets. You better fucking get inside on him now. And Chico Corrales got inside on him now and knocked Jose Luis Castillo out. So, you know, Joe deserves it. Um, I'm biased on this one, I'll admit it, but the, the matchmaker from top Rank, Brad Goodman, who has been a close personal friend of mine for 30 years before we ever were involved in boxing in the capacity that we have become. Uh, he is a, I call him a savant. The guy knows more about four and six round fighters than anybody who ever lived. The guy matched uh, top-ranked fighters to the you know guys he took. I'm not talking about guys he got when they were made fighters. I'm talking about guys that were O and O, or maybe they signed guys that were like they signed Terrence Crawford when he was like, you know, 6-0 and 0 or whatever. He helped develop 50-plus world champions at top rank. Wow. Plus, he's the best matchmaker in boxing. No offense to any other matchmaker. Uh, I'm going to give you a few names of guys he developed. Now, when I say develop, the wrong matchmaker could have get any of these guys probably beaten at any time they wanted by putting him in with the wrong fight. He does the job where you get the guy the right Combination of experience, a puncher, a mover, a southpaw, a this and that. Guys that can get your rounds. Guys that you know you're gonna maybe look spectacular against. Whatever. Miguel codo Kelly Pavlik, Calderon, Mikey Garcia, Terence Crawford, Lomachenko, Shakur Stevenson, Oscar Valdez, tiafimo Lopez, Jose Ramirez, Brandon Rios, Mike Alvarado, Juan Manuel Lopez, steven Lewevo, Michaela <laughs> Mayer. I mean, we could go on for a fucking hour. So Point he's an all-fame. proven.
1: Point proven.
0: And the other one uh, was uh, his his colleague at top rank is Brad Jacobs. Now, Brad Jacobs, like Brad Goodman, a behind the scenes guy, not a guy you see on TV all the time or at press conferences. But Brad is a chief operating officer of top rank. And a top rank is one of the most, if not the most significant promotion company in the history of professional boxing. He's been there since 2010. He is known for having run USA Tuesday night fights. Uh, for its tenure as the guy that basically did that show, made the matches and did, did, did you know, all the behind the scenes there, traveled the country all over the place for that show, uh, worked as the the key business person for Roy Jones at a moment in Roy Jones' career when he was pound for pound king in uh, you know the, the early 2000s. Uh, but since he's been at top rank, I'm telling you, as somebody that deals with top rank on a basically daily basis in some capacity or another, uh, all due respect to the great Bob Arum, who, by the way, shout out uh, as we speak today on, on Thursday, he celebrates his 91st birthday, still Incredible. going strong. He's in New York promoting the t fight. But uh, between Bob Aram and his stepson, the president of the company, Todd DeBuff, and uh, lots of other great people that work there like Brad Goodwin, Bruce Trampler, uh, Top Rank won't run the way that it runs smoothly and and professionally and and in a, in a business-like manner without the attention to detail and making sure shit gets done if Brad Jacobs isn't there. I mean, he really... Does so much, and he is an absolute worthy all of famer. One thing he did do, he's the one that literally wrote the handbook to provide the protocols to be able to have boxing in the bubble in Vegas, two shows a week during the the throes of the pandemic. I did a piece about that for the Ring Magazine at the time, and when I was talking to him, he told me that for any boxing event that they do, I forget the exact number, it was something like they have a checklist of like say two hundred and fifty things. They have to make sure that they have to check off whether it's medical related or the ring being put in place or travel or rooms or whatever it is. Insurance, the food, the you name it, transportation, mm-hmm. 200 plus elements for the pandemic where they were cleaning the ring and just, you know, having to separate this and vaccinations and taking your temperature and all that. Well, before vaccinations, that list grew to like almost 400 things. He wrote that without that, there was no boxing in the in the pandemic. Sure. And that same handbook is what everybody else used to come back, whether it was PBC and Showtime or other promotion companies. So for that alone, that makes him a Hall of Famer. But that's on top of all the other amazing uh, accomplishments he has had in boxing. I know we're long-winded on this, gotcha. but Hall of
1: Fame is a big deal. And uh, I got to give all these people their props. <clears throat> and you've done a great job. And again, they can read more on your Substack about it. They can read more on bigfightweekend.com about it as well. Uh, I didn't even get to the
0: guys on the on the – on the observer category, like Seth Abraham from HBO uh-huh. sports, the brilliant president. That was the guy that ran the show when they were the network sure. of champions. As I wrote, if you have a fond memory of HBO in it's heyday, yep. you owe that smile to Seth Abraham. And I say that as, again, as we tape this today is as we tape this on Thursday, the fourth anniversary of the HBO boxing broadcast. That's still like a death in the family. Now, Seth was not there at that time. He had left around 2001 or so, uh, the network. But his imprint and what that what they did at that network went long after he had left. He he was a monster, a giant of 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 the of the sport. He was the single most important, powerful, influential person in the business for a long stretch of time when HBO was king of the
1: mountain. A reminder, we are brought to you in part by PPV.com as we discuss coming up the Terrence Crawford fight with David Avenessen that is coming in Omaha, Nebraska. You can see it on PPV.com and we recommend that you do so because there's no subscription, no long-term commitment needed. It is a one-off opportunity to watch the fight Uh, crystal clear, high definition, and great interaction. It's a lot of fun to participate with PPV.com because you've got a chance to interact with other fans, with video, text, et cetera, a bunch of different features, giveaways, et cetera. Most importantly, no long-term commitment from PPV.com. You can one-off, just watch the pay-per-view. That's it. Not a six-month sign-up with subscription fees, not a one-year sign-up with subscription fees, none of that. And again, uh, through in-demand, they have great pay-per-view events, primarily boxing, but other things too, whether it's MMA, other special events, concerts, et cetera. But PPV.com, we recommend for the Terrence Crawford title defense. Bud Crawford is back. He's on PPV.com. We recommend you go there, sign up with uh, relative ease, participate in all the ancillary stuff they have, the full undercard, the main event fight with Crawford being back in his hometown. Do it without a subscription. Do it with PPV com. We are also brought to you in part by our friends at BetUS. Have you signed up yet with BetUS? If you're looking to wager at all on the fights this weekend that we're talking about, the Crawford-Walterweight Walter title defense, the Teofimo uh, return in New York, the Warrington-Lopez fight in England, or any of the boxing, if you want to wager, do it with our friends at BetUS, and we're going to make it worth your while with a promo code that gets you a 125% match bonus. Use our promo code BFW22 and BetUS, if you're a first-time subscriber, will match whatever you put in with a 125% match. That means you put 100 bucks in, you get $125 of their money to gamble with. Not just on boxing. You want to bet on the NFL, you want to bet on the NBA, the college football, bowl games, whatever. They're matching you up to, 100, uh, to 125%, up to 2500 bucks. So you put 200 bucks in, you get $250 that they've matched to be able to gamble with and so on. The maximum, again, is $2,500 deposited in whatever that is for 125% match. It's a lot to gamble with with BetUS. Remember our promo code, BFW22. They've been America's favorite sportsbook for almost 30 years. Go to BetUS.com to find out more. Use our promo code, BFW22, for Big Fight Weekend, and you get the 125% match bonus. If you're looking to wager this weekend, it's where the games begin. It's BetUS and our promo code, BFW22. All right, great stuff on the Hall of Fame. Uh, Sadly, uh, we lost one of the great uh, third men in the ring in Mills Lane that I think almost any boxing fan of the 80s, 90s, especially and even in the early 2000s before his stroke, uh, knew Mills Lane, his gruff voice, little demeanor, uh, but most importantly, no-nonsense way he officiated in fights, and the, the famous let's get it on from Mills Lane to start fights So he passed away this week at 85 years of age and had really uh, never recovered from a a debilitating stroke 20 years ago. I thought you wrote very eloquently, quoting the family, about how in some ways they were relieved for his wife, who's been his caretaker for 20 years uh, in this situation. But just say a few words about Mills Lane. You've written about it again on your Substack. We had it up on BigFightWeekend.com as well about Mills Lane. Colorful character, there is no doubt. Great personality. Tons of fights. Say more, Dan. Go ahead.
0: Well, I mean, I don't think you can make an argument. I mean, I, I can't think anybody that even comes close, frankly, that if you had to say, who's the greatest referee in boxing history? Okay, I don't know all the referees from the 1940s and 50s and that sort of stuff. But of his contemporaries, let's say from like the seventies through the present, you know, they weren't all his contemporaries, obviously he, he retired in 1998 and there's been a lot of great referees, but Mills Lane just encompassed everything that was exactly what you want in a referee. Even tempered, uh, fair got the calls, right. Uh, did not fold under the pressure of the big lights in the big moment. I think ever, I mean, just, uh, you know, a no-nonsense guy, you know, didn't let anybody get over on him. You know, he came, look, he was a millet, he had been in the Marine Corps, he had boxed in college, he had mm-hmm. been in the Olympic trials in 1960, he had compiled a professional record of 10-1, and 1, point being is, he understood what it was like to be in the ring and be in combat. Most referees are not necessarily former fighters, so that was a, a bonus in his favor. Uh, even, you know, he was a small guy, didn't box as a heavyweight, obviously, he boxed mainly as a welterweight. But besides that, he then became an attorney. So he served a role as a as a as a district court judge in Nevada. He was a district attorney. So you have to have a certain amount of gravitas and the ability to uh, make your case and be even handed and that sort of thing. And those were all things that helped him be the way he was in the ring. And in the 19 like late 70s through most of the 80s into the 90s, There was no referee that caught more bigger assignments in the big fights than Mills Lane. I mean, if there was a big-ass fight, good chance that Mills Lane was going to be the third man in the ring. Now, he had some crazy events that occurred while he was in the ring that weren't his fault. But I'm going to just give you – well, he's most famous, of course, TJ. We all know of being the referee that disqualified Mike Tyson in the famous 1997 heavyweight title rematch with Evander Holyfield, the bite fight. And if you remember, he was going to disqualify him after he bit him the first time. We That's discussed right. this on the yes, podcast back a couple of weeks ago with yes, the incident did. that occurred in the Montana love fight, getting knocked out of the, uh, pushing his opponent out of the ring. He went over to the ringside area where Mark Ratner was the then executive director of the Nevada state athletic commission. And he told him, you can hear it on the audio. I'm going to disqualify him. And, and Mark, uh, you know, they had a rapport. He looked at him. He said, are you sure you want to do that or something to that effect? And Mills, you know, did what he was supposed to. He took a minute. He thought about it and he was like, okay, I'm going to give another try. I thought that was the right decision, a mm-hmm. big mega fight. I mean, I'm not excusing Tyson biting Evander. But when he did it the second time, he had no choice. He disqualified him. And he was in the ring for some other wacky outcomes also. You know, He was breaking up a clinch between Bernard Hopkins and Robert Allen in their first fight when Bernard uh, was defending in the middleweight title. And he broke them up and you know pushed Allen uh, off of him. And Robert Allen literally fell through the ropes and out of the ring. It was a fight that was on Showtime. He hit the floor and he got injured. They had to call that fight a no contest because he could not continue. He was in the ring when the fan man landed in the middle middle of the event or Holyfield-Riddick Bowe rematch for the heavyweight championship. We put that YouTube
1: clip on Big Fight Weekend on the story about his, it's it's as crazy as anything you've seen. And he's in the ring with those two fighters when all that mayhem happened. It's remarkable. And then he also was in the ring, again, not his fault, just the way shit
0: happens. He was in the ring for the rematch between Lennox Lewis and Oliver McCall. Mm -hmm. And that was when Lennox Lewis regained the WB's title. Remember, McCall had knocked him out a couple of years earlier in a big shocking upside in England. They did the rematch. And in the middle of the fight, Oliver McCall refused to fight, started crying, basically had a mental breakdown. Yes, he did. And Nils had no choice because he wouldn't defend himself. He had to stop the fight. So Lewis won by a TKO. That was kind of crazy. Then it was only a few months later when Lennox made his first defense. Having regained the belt in a mandatory fight against Henry Akinwande, and Henry Akinwande was as petrified as any fighter that ever lived, being in the ring with Lennox Lewis or any other heavyweight, and he would not stop grabbing him and hugging him. And now Henry Akinwande and Lennox Lewis. Lennox is about six foot five. Akinwande is probably six 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 seven. Two big, towering yep. black men, and Mills Lane is this little like five foot nine white guy. And I remember, I think it was Michael Katz and uh, the great boxing. Uh, uh, columnist when, when they were in between him and Mills were trying to separate him, he said it looked like an Oreo cookie. <laughs> uh, but
1: Mills had no choice M- but Mills disqualify- coming up to about their armpits, maybe a little above Pretty their much. navels, trying to break them up. Yeah, trying to break so them up. So
0: he had no choice but to disqualify Akinwande. So that was back to back crazy fights that Lennox was involved in. That That Mills was the referee. Now he became famous because of those incidents. So he's the only referee that ever, like, probably transcended boxing. He wound up with the Mills Lane, you know the uh, Judge, Judge Mills, Mills Lane, the, Lane, right? The syndicated right. like People's Court kind of show. He wound up having uh, MTV create a claymation character of him that he voiced the uh, celebrity death match. It was but tremendous let me give you idea of the fights that he was in. Forget about the wacky ones I just mentioned, like Tyson Holyfield and the biting and all that. This is a small. he did over hundred championship fights, not to mention undercards and non championship mm-hmm. fights. But I'm gonna just give you a few big mega fights that he was in the ring as referee for and there's a reason he was put in that place because he was so great larry holmes ken norton incredible mm-hmm. heavyweight championship fight holmes versus jerry cooney big giant mega fight big big mega fight at the time muhammad ali against bob foster big deal he was the third man in the ring on the night that mike tyson won the heavyweight championship against trevor burbick he was there when mike tyson made the comeback out of prison against peter McNeely. uh he was there when tyson and he was in the ring when tyson became uh the undisputed champion by beating tony tucker Tyson Frank Bruno 2, Evander Holyfield, Buster Douglas when Evander won the undisputed title. Oscar De La Hoya versus Pernell Whitaker which was a huge fight, you know, for pound for pound, basically. Julio Cesar Chavez, Frankie Randall, the rematch, very controversial. Mm -hmm. Meldrick Taylor versus Chavez, their rematch, not the original one, but the the second fight. Uh, Holyfield versus Michael Moore won when Moore won by upset and claimed the heavyweight title. Fight of the year, one of the all-time great fights in the smaller weight classes, the first match between Michael Carball and uh, Chiquita Gonzalez. He was there for Michael Spinks versus Larry Holmes, the rematch. Again, controversial Mm -hmm. decision for the heavyweight championship. Marvin Hagler versus John Mugabe, an incredible middleweight Mm. title fight. Salvador Sanchez, Danny Lopez rematch. I mean, we could, again, as I said about some of the Hall of Fame stuff, we could go on an hour about the great fights that Mills Lane refereed. And he got those assignments because he was an all-time great referee.
1: I agree with you. And some, some phenomenal memories from the fan man, bizarreness, to i mean that 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 Hagler mugabe is Hagler's last win his second to last fight and that's an epic battle in and of itself uh i never really got a chance to know mills i met him a Mm -hmm. couple of
0: times at the beginning of my career what i did i have gotten to know over the years his sons tommy and terry uh who became promoters now they're managers for example they manage uh zhang Zali, the 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 heavyweight contender um so i i'm in touch with uh Mainly with Terry, I like I texted with Terry, and you know to offer my condolences and and uh, got some comments for him for the piece that you referenced. But uh, they definitely uh, you know carry on the spirit of their father by staying involved in the sport of boxing.
1: All right, great stuff on the tributes. I promise we're getting to fight previews of Terrence Crawford's uh, defense. Uh, David Avanessen is the opponent. How long will that one go? On Saturday night, we'll see Teofimo Lopez in action separately in New York, headlining for top rank in ESPN. Again, Warrington Lopez also earlier in the day, US time, in the matchroom IBF Featherweight Championship bout in Leeds, England. We'll get to all of that coming up. You want to get to a couple of other news items and things that are going on as well this weekend. Um, besides just the fights themselves, some news items that the fans should be aware of, I should say, for going on this weekend. All right, so give me a couple of things. Besides that, since last we talked on the Fight Freaks Unite recap, what else do we have going on?
0: Well, one thing that uh, it doesn't come as a huge surprise, if people remember going back a few weeks ago at the WBO convention, they went through and made some of their orders. And one of the fights that was going to happen uh, was a fight between Oscar Valdez and Emmanuel Navarrete uh, for the vacant WBO junior lightweight title, which if people remember, uh, Shakur Stevenson was stripped of because he failed to make weight for his uh, fight against Robinson Constance style. So he was stripped not only of the WBO title, but also of the WBC title. And so Valdez, who had lost earlier this year in a decision to Stevenson and Navarrete, who was the WBO's uh, featherweight title holder, he was going to move up. They were the top two contenders and they were going to fight each other. Now that fight has a date. I spoke with the folks at Top Rank. That fight will be February 3rd, a Friday night. It will take place in Glendale, Arizona at the same arena where we just saw the Chocolatito versus Estrada number 3. It will headline an ESPN card, and that's a really good fight. Now, Valdez will be probably – it's going to be a big, obviously, Latino, Hispanic, Mexican crowd. i got to believe, though, that Valdez, who grew up uh, in Tucson, even though he's from Mexico, he'll be the uh, crowd favorite. But there will be a lot of Mexican fans, I'm sure, that will cheer on for Navarrete. But it should be a great atmosphere. And let me tell you, uh, that fight has carnage written all over it, the way those two guys like to fight. That's a really good, interesting, and fun-filled matchup, I believe. So they'll fight February 3rd uh, as uh, Top Rank starts to get their uh, 2023 uh, early part of the year calendar, their first quarter in order with ESPN. And that's a hell of a main event, Uh, not pay-per-view, I might add. And so that's a good thing. And the other one I was going to mention to you was, uh, you know, we'll see what actually happens. But uh, this week the WBA has its uh, annual convention. And on uh, Monday they will hold uh, a purse bid for a mandatory welterweight title match between their regular title holder, Imantis Stanionis, and Virgil Ortiz, which is a very intriguing fight. Stanionis is undefeated. Uh, Virgil Ortiz is undefeated. They're both in their 20s. They're both uh, probably not even in their prime. You know, Stanionis was an Olympian, uh, looked really good winning that belt in a fight against Butaya. Virgil Ortiz has knocked out all 19 of his opponents, and he's been fighting a pretty decent group of opponents in the last several fights. Unfortunately, just had uh, the one fight this, uh, this year, as did Stanionis. I'm a little skeptical if it will actually happen. TJ, you know, even though it goes to a purse bid, we'll see because that's a, a top rank. I mean, I'm sorry, that's a golden boy fighter in Ortiz and a PB in Stanionis. So I'm still slightly skeptical uh, what will occur there. But if the fight actually does come to pass, it's a very good, exciting matchup. Uh they 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 should have ordered the Spence Stanionis fight to to do the super champion versus the regular champion. They they gave him the pass and let uh uh Spence go forward to try to do the fight with Thurman, who was also is mandatory in the WBC. But that nonsense aside, the matchup itself, if it happens, Stanionis versus Virgil, that's a really exciting fight. And by the way, if it happens to be that it's a PBC group that gets it, I'm fairly confident that if it happens, we'll see it as a main event at some point on Showtime. If it happens that that Golden Boy gets the fight uh, and it happens, we'll see it, I'm sure,
1: as a main event on Zone. But wherever it shows up, if it happens, it's a hell of a fight. All right. Uh, good enough on those. You also want to say something, too, before we get to the fight previews, which we're doing here in a few moments, that PBC and Showtime announced not only officially the Gervonta Davis main event uh, with Hector Garcia that's coming January 7th in Washington, D.C., but they announced the undercard, including Jerron Boots Ennis on that undercard. And looky here, Demetrius Andre for years, couldn't figure it out. Now he's going to come aboard with PBC and with Showtime. He's going to be on the undercard and try to work his way up. Uh, through that, So give me a little more. And you also talked to Boots in us this week. Do I do I sense a future guest on the podcast that we have here on the Big yes, fight you Weekend do. Podcast. Go ahead. Uh They had their press conference uh in uh, Washington, D.C. to
0: have the uh, I was going to go to that press conference, but I was feeling so under the weather with this cough that I that I skipped it. I'll be there at the fight for sure. Have to drag me maybe on a gurney if I have to, but I'll be there. <laughs> but in any event, they announced I feel there with an <laughs> IV, but he's gonna be there. <laughs> so, the, the Davis and Garcia fight had been announced a couple of weeks ago. They had the press conference where they showed up, but in addition to the two guys being present to discuss uh, the fight with the, the DC media and the boxing media, uh, they announced the rest of the pay per view undercards. Uh, and as you mentioned, Boots Tennis, who I did interview on the day of the press conference, we will play that on the podcast uh, probably next week. Uh, he will fight a fighter uh, named from Ukraine named Karen Chakadzian. Uh, not very mm-hmm. accomplished, pretty unknown. Not the matchup anybody was hoping for. But a couple things: number one, a lot of guys don't want to fight Boots Ennis. That's the first thing. And number two, uh, for whatever reason, uh, Chakadzian is highly ranked by the IBF, and so because of the fact that that uh, Spence is off doing something else, the IBF is allowing this to be a interim title fight. Now that's something that they don't normally do. I'm actually really disappointed in the IBF. They've been the one organization that has consistently not done those crazy, stupid interim titles mm-hmm. unless there was a real reason, like an injury specifically, in the case uh, that they've used that a few times over the years. For whatever reason, they're making this an interim fight. Maybe they think that Spence is going to vacate whatever happens with Thurman, win or lose, uh, or that Thurman won't fight him No, anyway, In any event, they're fighting for the interim title. Boots was uh, pretty chill about that. He's like, he doesn't really consider this a big title fight. He just knows... Whatever happens, it's going to put him in a position to either be elevated to the full champion or to get him a fight with Spence. Um, they also announced Rashidi Ellis against uh, Roy Mine via uh, uh, a 12-round welterweight fight. Ellis has been is a talented guy, but super inactive. He he turned down various fights with Golden Boy. Uh, they ended their relationship. He signed with PBC earlier this year. He hadn't he had one fight uh, in a, just a tune-up, and he knocked out a you know a lesser opponent. Uh, now he's taking on via who's a I won't say he's a big step up from the other guys he has faced. But at least Via is coming off a, a nice win on Showbox uh, in, a, in a mild upset, let's say. So they'll do that on that card. And as you mentioned, Demetrius Andre who hasn't fought for a year and a half, uh, is fighting Damon Nicholson. Again, not a great matchup. DeMond Nicholson, last seen probably by most people, uh, getting uh, beaten up badly by Edgar Berlanga. Mm-hmm. He can hang his hat on one thing, that even though he got dropped a bunch of times, by Berlanga was the first guy to get Berlanga out of the first round and actually went the eight round distance with him. So he's got that uh, to hang his hat on, but hopefully what this means is, I don't know if Andre has a long-term commitment yet with PBC or not, but I'd be a little surprised if he didn't have something going forward that he'll now, if he's going to be with PBC and he gets this fight out of the way, hopefully we'll see him more active with a couple of fights next year. And He can get himself in the mix. He's at super middleweight now. So he'll be there in the mix with uh, Kayla plant and, and Benavides and, and some of the other uh, guys that they have in their in their stable of fighters. So, that's the pay per view. I look at that pay per view as this. I'm surprised that is fighting uh, as tough of an opponent as Garcia prior to the other Ryan Garcia fight, not related. Uh, and there's some good names on the card, whether it's Boots Ennis or even Ellis or Andre. The
1: matchups themselves do, frankly, leave a little to be desired. But it's going to be an exciting night because I would give that pay per view on. I don't know about the Rayfield scale, but on the TJ scale, I'd give that pay per view an eight on the names. It may not be great matchups, but at least right. you're getting three good names on the undercard and it's not garbage so no
0: i agree then i think the Ellis roman via fight actually is a pretty solid fight and uh nicholson you know andre's not this super big puncher nicholson has displayed a pretty good chin i don't think he has any chance to actually win because andre can outbox him probably when he's 50 but you know at least he'll probably stick around for a few rounds which i think is probably frankly the idea for andre to get the rust of a year and a half layoff
1: off and uh
0: and it is a pretty solid main event
1: all right great stuff from you stand by we've got these fights these title fights including terence crawford he is back unbeaten wbo world welterweight in his hometown of omaha nebraska teofimo lopez also headlining uh, at madison square garden and again uh warrington lopez in leeds england for the ibf featherweight title we'll discuss all of those as we continue
0: We're back on Big Fight Weekend. Now,
1: here's your host, TJ Reeves. Back in once more here on the Big Fight Weekend preview as we head towards uh, a very intriguing weekend from Nebraska to New York to England. A lot to get to. We'll call Dan Rayfield, our insider, back in here. Fight Preach Tonight substack. Read him there. Read him on BigFightWeekend.com. Always bringing the heat on these podcasts. All right, Terrence Crawford is back uh blk prime has the pay-per-view again we recommend as well ppv.com you can watch it through them as we were saying uh before all right here we go with crawford being back it's not the spence fight we wanted but crawford's one of the most entertaining fighters he's back a thought or two please in the preview mode well
0: i mean when he couldn't get the spence fight made uh i can't blame him for wanting to still fight he hasn't fought since last year he'll be out of the ring for you know almost a year uh, he's coming off, you know, his probably a signature a signature victory of his career in a very outstanding performance and a stoppage win against uh, Sean Porter. The first real name fighter he's had a chance to fight since he's come to the welterweight division. i remember all those guys were with PBC and top rank really didn't have a lot of quality opponents to offer him. So he finally were able to do that fight. Thankfully it was a mandatory. You know, we we rag on the sanctioning bodies, but sometimes those uh, those organizations, because of those situations with mandatories put Guys, in position where we can get to see good fights, and uh, he fought Porter and he looked great. And uh, now it's been almost a year off, he couldn't make the Spence fight. So, uh, it's disappointing, of course, that he's fighting Evanesian, but that's not a knock on Evanesian. Evanesian is actually a pretty good fighter. I can't sit here and tell you he's a bum or he's a scrub or anything like that. I don't think he's on Crawford's level, but few guys are. I mean, most people think that Terrence Crawford, you know, at worst is like in the top three pound for pound all time, to- uh, of not all time of today's boxing, Apparently, right? Um, a lot of people have him number one. Um, whatever you have him, he's obviously one of the best fighters in the world, uh, no doubt about it. Um, and he needed to fight. Uh, I can't blame him. And by the way, the folks at BLK Prime—if you believe what 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 Terence Crawford and them have said—is they're supposedly. I'm not so sure I believe it, but whatever they say, they're paying him ten million dollars for the fight, which <laughs> kind of makes me laugh because ten million guaranteed. Yeah, no just, knock on
1: yeah
0: on on anybody, but. There's no chance at all that this fight does anything but lose tons and tons of money because they'll have a sold out gate at the C H C H I Health Center in Omaha, which I've covered fights at before. Very nice arena. The gate, I am told, if it's a sellout, legit, it's scaled to do about 1.2, 1.25 million dollars. And the, and the rest of the revenue largely, you know, there might be a, you know, a few dollars coming from international markets, but again, that's in the, at the best, you're talking about like extremely low, you know, low, low seven, uh, uh, seven figures, you know, maybe high, uh, uh, six figures It's really about the pay-per-view. And unfortunately, uh, the diehards, you know, they may buy it on, uh, on a PPV.com or their normal in demand or. You know, right th- integrative sports or the different folks that are involved with producing and distributing the fight. Uh, and they did they did themselves a favor also because unlike some other fights where people might say, hey, that's a pretty good fight, but you see its price at seventy five dollars or maybe sixty dollars, they did price this one at thirty nine ninety nine so it's not like the worst price I've ever seen. Um, still, it's not Crawford against a top level opponent relative to Errol Spence or some of the other more named guys. But let me just sing the praises of Avanessian for a little bit. He's a Russian fighter that's living in England. He's 29-3-1. He's been on a winning streak where he's knocked out six fighters in a row. And he's got some solid wins in that group. He beat Kerman Laharaga twice from Spain, who was considered a good contender. He, he knocked him out when he was undefeated, 27-0. He then went and, uh, and scored a very impressive six-run knockout last year against Josh Kelly, was undefeated that a lot of the people in britain thought was going to be the next coming and a big superstar and he upset him uh you know he, he knocked out liam taylor again solid guy in a in a european welterweight title fight and if you go back a few years before that uh you know he has a credible loss but he didn't get blown out by any stretch he challenged uh lamont peterson in a welterweight title fight that was in 2017 i think he's probably best known if you know who he is is that in 2016 He whipped up on Shane Mosley and won a decision and sent the Hall of Famer into retirement. Mm. So he does have some element of accomplishment. He has fought some pretty decent guys. He has won the European title. He's scored some upset, and he's been knocking guys out. Now, does that translate against Terrence Crawford? I was going to say, you
1: did a marvelous job of building all of that up. Is he going to last five rounds with Terrence Crawford? Is he going to last seven rounds with Terrence Crawford? I mean, what's the legitimate expectation here? Well, he's been stopped only once in his
0: career. That was when he fought uh, Mean Machine, Edges Kavalowskis, who was a Mm -hmm. guy that Crawford did fight and Crawford stopped him. Crawford also, in my opinion, got knocked down by Kavalowskis, but they didn't call it. But be that as it may, that was in 2018. So his one stoppage loss, Evanescine, was a six round knockout against uh, Mean Machine. Does he go five rounds with Crawford or six rounds with Crawford? I think there's a good chance. Crawford is, is a tremendous fighter, but he's never been the fastest starter. He kind of, it's a little bit like what we saw last week with as great of a finish as Roman Gonzalez had against Estrada. He just sort of messed around for the first few rounds and really didn't really, uh, you know, really get into the fight for a few rounds. Crawford is the kind of fighter who all the time, he'll tell you this, he likes to take a round or two to, as they say, download the information, which is kind Mm -hmm. of cliche, but he likes to see what the guy has, see, you know get his distance squared away, see what he can land, maybe take a shot on the gloves or the arms to see what kind of, you know, measures, what kind of power he thinks the opponent has. And then he starts to go to work. So, you know, I do think Evanesan can last a bit. We'll see. Uh, It's an opportunity for Crawford to fight. He hasn't fought in in Omaha in a bit. uh, So the home crowd will be there. Um, He's still a top fighter. He's still a welterweight champion. And we all have to sit and hope he takes care of his business. And if we see the Errol Spence fight, Against uh, Thurman in the first uh, part of next year, that when that's all said and done, if they both win, hopefully they can get back to the table and make the fight. You know, by
1: say like the next next summer, let's say. I'm not confident of that ever happening, but we'll see. No, listen, you gotta I, win the fight first. You. I'm with you. I'm with you. I hear you. Uh, Crawford, by the way, overwhelming favorite, as you would suspect. The bet US line, and we'll talk more about it on the Bet US show coming up Friday, one Eastern time. Uh, the over under is seven and a half rounds, so it's kind of right around what you were saying. Very intriguing on what. Both of us might take there. Again, Crawford will be the hometown, overwhelming favorite. Crowd will roar if he breathes at the guy. If he I looks if, at the guy, they'll roar for him. So let's see what happens. When,
0: when you talk about that over-under, TJ, to me, it's what what mood is Terrence Crawford in? Mm-hmm. Is he in a spiteful mood? Does he want to really look Is he
1: inspired
0: by the home crowd,
1: which we've seen Because if he is,
0: he might just go through him like a knife through butter. Maybe. If he's not as motivated or he's screwing around or he's just trying to put on a show, you know, maybe he lets him hang around longer and it does go deeper into the fight. I mean, honestly, that is one of those things where I would want to know what's his mood when he gets up in the morning. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Before looking at that overrunner. All right, good enough. Let's move off that card. That's the most noteworthy thing on that card. Uh, Teofimo Lopez headlining on what has got tremendous prospects on the card as well. The night of the Heisman presentation. And by the way, if you don't follow college football, this is one of the rare, rare years Dan Rayfield where the Heisman is wide open on who's going to win it. And there's going to be some drama as to who gets the vote. It's not a foregone conclusion. That's the lead in to the ESPN top rank show. that Teofimo Lopez is headlining uh, on Saturday night on ESPN at the garden. You spoke with him on the podcast. Sander Martin is a veteran pulled the upset of Mikey Garcia. All right. So they've been doing the media tour and that stuff. Just say something about the main event. Cause you've talked to Teofimo Great undercard as well. We're looking forward to that show in New York. The the uh, opposite way from Omaha, about two time zones, uh, I think, uh, to get to New York City. But say something about uh, Teofimo headlining in the card in New York real quick.
0: Listen, Teofimo Lopez has been on this card on Heisman night before in New York City at Madison Square Garden. He loves the spotlight. He's been on that card two times in the past. He has shined. Scored that absolutely spectacular knockout against Mason Menard, where he struck the Heisman pose afterwards and put the the jersey on i forget which which was the player that was that might that have been the baker, was, mayfield, it Oklahoma, baker mayfield exactly. or might have
1: been kyler murray i can't remember he put on a joe burrow yeah. lsu jersey too he's had two or three of them on and then he also when he uh you know he's fought and he's fought on the
0: undercard as well in, in a different night on, on this date but for him it's a big deal i asked him in the podcast people can certainly listen this is the first time he's on heisman night in the main event and he's excited and i don't blame him he's a young guy he's uh you know he called himself the takeover because he lost his world title uh november of last year to cambosis in their great fight he then called his return the, the, the take back he's moved up to the 140 pound weight class he seems much happier and much more comfortable uh at that weight because those last few pounds i mean it doesn't sound like a lot to normal people five pounds what's the big deal but when you've already cut weight and you got to still make that last five pounds it's hard he said on the podcast, I can't, no, I can't make 135 anymore. I can make 140 and that's where I'm going to be. So he's much more comfortable there. He looked pretty sharp and pretty good uh, in his return from the Cambosa's loss. Remember he fought in the in November. He came back in August of this year against Pedro Campa, you know, a veteran who only had one loss coming to that fight. He stopped him in the seventh round. Now we ask Sandra Martin, a tricky veteran, a Southpaw, as you mentioned, probably filled with confidence. He sent Mikey Garcia into retirement in a fight that was not at 140. He actually fought Mikey, uh technically a welterweight fight, but that I believe he was 144. The contract was a few pounds over the 140 pound limit. Uh, and so he and he looked pretty good in there. He's he's a bit of a cutie, he's a bit of a mover, he's you know, he doesn't engage a whole lot, he's more of a boxer. So it's really as often is the case, it's gonna be up to Fimo Lopez to sort of make the fight, go to him. And my question is, can he stop him? Uh, or is he just gonna let him run around and get frustrated, and maybe outpoint him? But if you know Teofimo Lopez, he's looking for doing something spectacular uh, on that show. And, uh, you know, my, my impression from speaking to him and then seeing some of his other comments and looking at the press conference from earlier today a little bit as I speak on Thursday, you know, he he's looking forward to getting back and, uh, and putting on a good show for the fans. And uh, and I suspect Sander Martin will come and give a great effort, uh, whether it's good enough to take down Teofimo, who seems reborn in his last fight to the Cambosa's victory. He's healthy now, he says. Um it's interesting. And and also their stakes because when he was fighting Pedraza, which was the original opponent before Pedraza uh, withdrew because of a non-COVID illness, that was a, just a regular 10-round fight. Now, this is still a 10-round fight, but it's an official uh eliminator for the WBC, a final eliminator. Now, it irritates me that it's not 12 rounds as a final eliminator. They've made a uh, they've made some eliminators that'll allow them to be 10 rounds, which not specifically for this fight, but just in general. That kind of irritates me. Nonetheless. The winner of this fight will become the mandatory challenger for the WBC title that Regis Progress won a couple of weeks ago. Now, Jose Ramirez, the former champion of the WBC, who had unified, he's next up in terms of what the organization will allow. They said that at the convention. But the winner of this fight would be the next mandatory challenger. So there's definitely some good fights in the pipeline. Uh, Lopez talked about wanting to fight Regis Prograce down the road. Now, he's going to have to wait to see what happens. If Ramirez fights him and wins, that's another great matchup. If it's Teofimo Lopez against Jose Ramirez. sure. So, the the point of it is, there's still some really good fights to be made at 140 pounds, even if you take Josh Taylor and put him to the side because he's going to be busy uh, come March with the rematch against Jack Catterall. So, uh, there's some business to be done, though, but it doesn't it does not advance if uh, Teofimo Lopez doesn't do his part and uh, win on Saturday against Sandra Martin on the uh, top rank show at the garden. So it's going to be exciting. As you mentioned, uh, the undercard is solid. You know, uh, I think Jared Anderson has a chance to be the next great American heavyweight star as do a lot of people. He's taken what I consider to be a step up. He's 12 and Oh, uh, and he's taken on Jerry Forrest. Jerry Forrest, a very solid uh, veteran. Um, he's lost some fights. He's won some fights, but he always gives a good effort. He got ripped off in a draw against Michael Hunter and, and, when I look at the, the roster of opponents that Jared Anderson has faced, he is 12 and 0 with 12 knockouts. This he's fought some okay guys to me. This is like the start of the next phase of his career mm-hmm. where he's not fighting like just, uh, just a nobody or a guy that might give him some round. He's fighting a actual heavyweight that can handle himself in the ring against the best guys because Jerry Forrest should have got the win against Michael Hunter. He had, uh, a solid fight against Kubrat Pulav, even though he didn't win the fight. He also had a very uh, impressive performance. It turned out to be a draw, but he had Zhang Zelai uh, on the deck. Uh, they traded knockdowns. He has a, uh, a solid fight against Carlos Takam, who had fought for the world title. He's very experienced against quality opponents. Um, he lost a close fight to Jermaine Franklin, for example, who gave a really good fight uh, a couple of weeks ago to uh,
1: Dillian White. So
0: he's a real heavyweight. I'm not saying he's champ of the world material, but he's
1: Jared Anderson's best opponent by far. Would it surprise you that on the Bet US line, the over-under is three and a half? So again, odds makers are trying to get you to bet. Real big baby's got a big punch. He's the A-side. We think it's probably going to be a knockout. I thought that was interesting. I thought that with that build up, I just looked, the buildup you were giving, that the, the over-under might be five and a half. But again, we're I not odds like makers. That. I don't like that over-under because... Jared
0: Anderson's a tremendous puncher, but you know, Kingsley IBay, for example, took him six rounds.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh I'm looking at his box rec here. Rodney Hernandez took him four rounds. And uh, you know, again, Jerry Forrest may not ever be the heavyweight champ of the world, but he can definitely handle himself against guys. I mean, he he's got solid defense and he's been with some some good uh opponents. So again, I fully expect Jared Anderson to win, uh, all things, you know, being the way they're supposed to be. In other words, they're not injured, they come in good shape, etc. Um, but that's that's a good. In my opinion, a very good quality test for uh, for Jerry. I mean, for well, for Jerry for sure, but also for uh, Jared Anderson at this stage of his career. And then, of course, there's the other prospects on the card who have a chance to, you know, eventually I headline. Also, I think all these guys I'm going to mention they're all in this undercard, yep. but sometime top rank absolutely will, will envision them headlining in the Madison Square Garden or in the theater at the Garden or something like that. Talking about Keyshawn Davis, the silver medal winner from the Olympics, a phenomenal blue chip prospect, six and zero taken out of form, you know, Juan Carlos Burgos, who's long in the tooth, but he's been in with everybody, fought for a title. Uh, back in the featherweight division, Xander Zayas, a popular uh, up-and-coming young fighter, um, a Puerto Rican by his uh, by where he was born, and we'll have the New York Puerto Ricans certainly in his corner. And those are the guys on the main card. But even on the preliminary part of the show on ESPN+, Plus, you have two excellent prospects, uh, Bruce Shushu Carrington, a featherweight yep. from New York who's got a lot of pizzazz and good skills and has looked really good in his recent fights. He's only five and zero. he got Tiger Johnson, who was the United States Olympian. That was uh Keyshawn Davis, teammate, a tremendous prospect in the welterweight division. He's in an eight rounder. Uh, you know, even Jahi Tucker wasn't an Olympian, but he's nine and zero. another very good prospect that top rank says signed, uh, you know, back, uh, you know, a year or so ago. And as I'll say it again, TJ, like I say, it seems like every week when we talk about the top rank shows, they got the best stable of prospects in boxing, bar sure. none. And, and this is an three, example. And but they're it's not just good prospects of a very deep stable of prospects. There are three best prospects, which in no particular order, Anderson, Davis, and Zayas are all on the same show. So the, the co-feature is very solid with Forrest. It's Keyshawn Davis is fighting a very experienced opponent. Um, I don't know a whole lot about Xander Zayas' opponent, other than he's got a lot of fights. He's 25 and four. But you know. I love seeing the young guys improve and you got a solid main event. So I'm,
1: I'm looking forward to being there on Saturday night and, uh, and seeing what these guys can all do. All right. Should be a lot of fun with that one. Few moments left here with the big fella. We always love his insight. We've gone a little long here. Uh, We've saved this one for last. You mentioned earlier in the podcast, they're going to work the undercard around the England, France soccer game. And you know, those British fans can get rowdy and crazy depending on what happens inside uh, the Leeds stadium, Uh, with the England Soccer World Cup match. And then they're going to have the main event card that will have Josh Warrington uh, fighting for the IBF, his defense of his IBF featherweight championship, 126 pounds. I don't know what that is in stones and grams. Somebody's got to catch me up on that. Uh, Luis Alberto Lopez, yeah.
0: Public service announcement. One stone equals uh, 14 pounds. So I've always, in my mind, when I try (laughs) to convert, I always think about if you're 10 stone, you're a junior welterweight 140,
1: and then I do the math from there. Okay, so if he's 126, just below that, then he's about nine stone, right? Bingo. Something like that. All right, in any, any event. Luis, well, that was good Lopez because 140 minus 14 is nine stone. Exactly. I was on the money. All right, so this is the IBF featherweight championship fight. Is Lopez a live dog? Our colleague David Payne, the boxing writer, wrote, right. hey, this is a blue-collar Battle, he's intrigued. Is Lopez a little bit of a live dog with Warrington, who was upset by Mauricio Laura not that far ago in the distant past? Uh Okay, what do you think? Real quick, on I, I think 100% uh,
0: Lopez is a live dog. He's a very good fighter. He's improving. He's got some upsets in recent times. He is no joke. He's a rough, tough Mexican. He's actually compared to the prototypical, stereotypical Mexican, where they uh, maybe don't have the greatest defense. Lopez has got pretty solid defense. Um, he's been winning. He's been looking pretty good. He hasn't lost since a fight against the undefeated Ruben Villa in 2019. Villa went on to fight for a world title. Uh, he didn't win it, but you know he is a very solid opponent. So he's won, uh, you know, got to be about nine or nine, eight or nine or ten fights in a row. Uh, this is a tough fight. I mean, he also has been active. This will be uh, Lopez's third fight this year. He fought in Ari probably fought in in August. Top rank is active that's the the promotion company that's with him the hall of famer uh, elect brad goodman uh, the matchmaker from top rank will be in england uh to accompany him this weekend and uh again you say is he is he is he a live dog i absolutely believe he's a live dog he's got Would a good it record
1: you to know that the odds are almost even josh warrington minus 135 lopez plus 105 on the bet us line with an over under of 10 and a half they they believe on BetUS and i guess a lot of the odds makers this is a very even 50 50 fight dan totally agree
0: i mean warrington is 31 one and one he is the guy that goes in to the ring in front of his hometown crowd which has been very supportive of him he's the guy with the champion obviously the card is geared towards him it's his promoter you know everything is going to be uh in favor of him in terms of you know what you can control uh and and for obvious reasons that makes him the favorite but i I, I don't think Warrington, again, I don't I don't I'm not knocking the guy. I mean, he's a good fighter, but I think he's maybe a little overrated to be quite honest with you. I don't see him being this boogeyman of the weight class. I mean, he he uh he got the win against Kiko Martinez in his last fight, where he regained this IBF title, but he took some damage in that fight. Uh before that, he had the two fights in a row against Mauricio Lara. In the first fight, when Lara was completely unknown, can pick out of Mexico's yep brought to the uk he had given up the title uh warrington the same title to not do a mandatory rematch with kid galahad and laura beat the shit out of him and he did so uh in dominating fashion he broke his jaw knocked him down scored a spectacular knockout beat him up bad for nine rounds it wasn't like he just got the win and you know he clipped him and it was over he really pounded him and and ground him down and then knocked him out and then in the rematch I know it only went two rounds, and that ended up as a technical draw because of an accidental headbutt that had a uh, a very bad cut over Lara's eye. But in the round and, a ha- and the two rounds that they completed, it, it was stopped at the end of the second round. In those two rounds, it looked like Warrington was going to be another one of those kind of tough fights where, you know, it wasn't going to go his way. He looked really bad the first couple rounds against the same guy who had, uh, in the previous right. fight, you know, you know, beat the shit out of him, basically. Uh, and so, you know, Lopez is... is got more accomplishment than Lara does when he first fought against Warrington. So again, I, I haven't really, I mean, we'll discuss it on the show uh, as we sit here, uh, you know, what uh, 14 hours or whatever, f- 15 hours before we tape the show. I haven't actually made my pick on the fight, but when you ask me, is he a live dog? Absolutely. Luis Alberto Lopez is a live dog. He's 26 and two. Uh, he's got 15 knockouts. He's in his prime. He's 29 years old. He's, not fearful to travel. Uh, You know, he's been active. Um, He hasn't lost in a long time. You know, I mean, he's the guy If people remember, remember Gabriel Flores, the prospect from top rank that was being built up like the next big thing. He ended his career essentially as a possible contender. I mean, I don't know what Gabriel will do in the, in the future. I wish him nothing but the best, but that was a very extremely debilitating. loss. He gave him an absolute beating uh, about a year ago, September of 2021. I mean, and he was lights out that night, but he also has beaten guys like, you know, Andy Vences was considered a pretty decent prospect. He beat him I grant that it was kind of a close fight, but other than the Ruben via fight back in 2019 and via's, you know, become as a pretty good contender, you know, his only other loss was a split decision in 2018, but you know, guys get better as they, as they get uh, uh, more experience. And I'm, gonna, I'm saying this in terms of who the losses he had, I'm thinking to myself, We talked on this podcast about the fighters that were elected to the boxing hall of fame, Rafael Marquez, who was going to the hall of fame, who was a tremendous bantamweight champion, had the great four fight series with Israel Vasquez, uh, three of them in a row as a a junior featherweight championship fights. Rafael Marquez got knocked out in his pro debut. And now he's going to the hall of fame. And may I also add his older brother, the great Juan Manuel Marquez also lost his pro debut and went on to become one of the all time greatest Mexican fighters uh, ever. And uh, being involved in some mega huge fights with Pacquiao and and Marco Antonio Barrera and you know all kinds of big fights. Floyd Mayweather. Uh, point is, a guy that lost a split decision in 2018 and and uh, and, a, and a decision against Ruben V in 2019. You don't count a guy like that out when you see the kind of opposition he's faced. And more importantly, if you've watched the fights, which I've done because a lot of those recent fights have been on ESPN Plus undercards, he's very solid. And Warrington is. look so great in recent fights
1: so to me it may be right for an upset all right good enough uh on that and again that's the matchroom boxing card Leeds, england uh you can check that out uh through the zone and uh depending on where you hear us on where it's where else it's available we'll see what happens that's afternoon u.s time prime time in the uk all right my friend i think we've come to the end i know we got two big anniversaries you want to say something about we're not not going to get
0: into the uh Manny Pacquiao exhibition against you? I'm joking. Wait a minute. Against me? Well, Y O O. No, no. The, play along. Um,
1: you mean against me?
0: Are we gonna do like an Abbott and Costello yes, thing? Like who's on? Play first?
1: along. You mean against me?
0: You no, said I mean you. against you.
1: No, me? You. Oh, thank you. So Pacquiao and you is the exhibition. Uh, and we'll report back if something interesting happens. I don't believe he's completely retired. I think oh, he I may either. be back, back. But we'll Listen, see. There's I'll, nice I'll say this weekend.
0: real quick, and then we'll get to the anniversaries. On the night that he lost to uh, or Dennis Ugas, and then uh, about a week later or a few days later, whatever it was, he officially now right. announced his retirement. I said this at the time. He's announcing his retirement. You take him at his word. He was running for the presidency of the Philippines. He could not stay in active. While he's running for the presidency and i said at the moment that that all occurred that if he wins the presidency he'll be the president of the philippines and he'll be retired if he loses the election which he did he got wiped out he didn't even finish in the first second he was way back and distant like third or fourth frankly in their election results that if he lost the election he would probably come back and even though this is an exhibition you know i've seen a bunch of training footage of him uh uh, you know, his his longtime uh, right-hand man, Sean Gibbons, has been over there watching him train. You know, I get these buzzing texts at like 3 in the morning of him sending me workout <laughs> footage of, uh, of Manny Pacquiao hitting the bag or doing some sparring, so I've seen that. Uh, and I guess we'll see how he looks in this exhibition. He oh. he may decide to go the route of Floyd Mayweather and just collect money doing exhibitions, but maybe he's still got some competitive spirit left and he'll want to take All a right. fight where he can get paid much bigger money, and we'll see. But right, if so you're a fan of Manny Pacquiao, he's, he's in back. the ring on pay-per-view on fight. Uh, this weekend, Saturday. He's not night fighting
1: off, me. So. He's, He's fighting you. Thank you. Um, very nice. So, in any event, an anniversary with Pacquiao. And speaking of Juan Manuel Marquez, the thunderous knockout mm-hmm. 10 years ago on the night we're doing the podcast. Amazing that that's been 10 years ago. Also, Floyd Mayweather uh, and Ricky hit Manhattan. And that was a knockout as well. I still remember that one punch KO. And you've got some memorabilia up <clears throat> on your Substack, et cetera, things you collected. You were there. You were there for both of those, right? For both of those KOs. I was, well, I was, I was. I I did cover both fights. Uh, um,
0: <laughs> the fight between Marquez and Pacquiao was an extraordinary fight. It was their fourth fight. I remember going into the fight. All anybody wanted to see, regardless of who the winner was, was please let's get a definitive ending. Whatever mm-hmm. happens, whoever the winner is, <laughs> I was. I, I I mean, one of my. Not as definitive things. as it gets, the sure is. got. Yes. One of my uh happiest things I've been able to do in my career is I was ringside for all four may uh, uh Manny P- Juan Manuel Marquez fights. Their first fight was a draw at featherweight, they fought in a junior lightweight title fight, and then they fought in a welterweight title fight, and then the sport fight was a non-title fight. Um, uh, but it was the best of the four. And all four of their fights are tremendous. You know, we talk about trilogies or series where there's great fights, but maybe there's one that's not so great compared to the others. Uh, you know, the, the one that stands out is Ali Frazier, where the first fight and the third fight are epic, and mm-hmm. the second fight was just sort of meh. But in terms of uh, what those guys gave to boxing fans, uh, all four of their fights were phenomenal. And as I said, they wanted a definitive ending. And Manny Pacquiao looked like he was going to get the definitive ending. They were both knocked down in the fight. It was a great fight. But in that sixth round, it looked like Manny Pacquiao was about to stop Marquez. His nose was bleeding, a bloody mess. He was taking heavy-duty shots. And Manny just sort of heard that 10-second clapper, relaxed for a second or two, and Manuel, Juan Manuel Marquez came over the top with a of the flushest right hand you ever saw in your life, plastered Manny face first. I remember he landed right in front of, he was on the opposite side of the ring from where the media was directly across from us. And Mitt Romney, the former presidential nominee, for the Republicans, was sitting at ringside with his wife, Ann, and Manny almost like uh, almost fell into Mitt Romney's the lap. The
1: expressions, if you go back and watch that video, and they've been showing it all day yeah. on social media <laughs> links, the expressions on those people's faces is amazing just because it was such a shock moment. He's laid out, and of course, speaking of HBO and the pay-per-view, the famous Roy Jones, he's not getting up, Jim. He's not getting up. I actually texted
0: i have i have like you said i have a bunch of memorabilia from those from that fight uh since i've like eight i mean i went and looked in my database tj uh there's like eight different official posters from that fight i have all of them but i tweeted out a picture of my favorite which is a a sponsor poster they were sponsored by wonderful pistachios it's like this thin, oh my gosh thin thing. they were displayed in the casino and in the media center i brought one home with me and i put i tweeted the picture earlier and i actually texted Lampley uh the picture of that poster and said 10 years ago and put in parentheses, uh, he's not getting up, Jim. And Lampley thought that was funny because <laughs> I'm, I'm still friendly with Lampley. We, we, uh, we uh, text yep. and talk on a regular basis. Uh, in any event, uh, an absolutely sensational fight. It was the knockout of the year for uh, 10 years ago, 2012. It was the fight of the year for 2012. And it was, uh, I don't know if it was done in official capacity, but it, certainly in my opinion, it was absolutely the fight of the decade for 2010s. And I went back and looked at the wow. previous fights I had picked Uh, all through that decade most of which i had covered and you know you'll be hard pressed to find a more meaningful bigger more exciting fight with that kind of ending with two superstar fighters manny was you know king and here's the thing about it tj not when manny got knocked out face first people thought his career was over that we'd never see the mayweather fight Mm -hmm. whatever he came back from that knockout a a massively debilitating i mean just a I mean, I, you know, if you never saw it, I mean, it's literally one of the sickest knockouts I've ever seen. And right. I mean, just as devastating as it gets. Let People me give you say, a
1: quick story because she came <clears throat> on with us and told the story. Our buddy, the PR pro from San Diego, Gail Falconfall, was covering that fight. She went and covered that fight. One of the rare opportunities she got to go be in Vegas for a championship fight early in her uh, writing career, etc. She said no, legitimately, no exaggeration, I thought he had killed him. I thought when he wasn't moving, Marquez has killed him was her first thought. She was elated when they moved Manny around and he was moving, even yes. though he was knocked out. So just not to over-exaggerate, that's what she told us. She was yeah, there no, like you were.
0: I always, people ask, what's the biggest knockout you ever saw in person? I always tell about, there's three that always come to mind. One is Pacquiao knocking out Ricky Hatton that I was at. One is Marquez knocking out Pacquiao. It's like, uh, you, sometimes you're the windshield and sometimes you're the bug. And of course, uh, the Paul Williams- Sergio Martinez knockout in the rematch. I mean, those are the three that come to my mind at any sure. moment that somebody asks me about what are the biggest knockouts you've ever been at. But the point is, for Pacquiao to absorb that kind of knockout, where, you know, he was certainly an older fighter at that point already uh, and had a lot of war, you know, wear and tear and wars at that point. For him to come back from that fight and still go on yep. to reach some of his greatest heights coming off of that fight, he beat Brandon Rios. That was a fight they did in China. He then beat timothy bradley uh cleanly in the second fight after getting robbed in the first fight he went back to china won the fight against chris Algieri. finally then the mayweather fight happened which he obviously lost but even after the mayweather fight this again he had been knocked out cold he beats timothy bradley in the third fight remember timothy bradley's only losses he was just elected to the hall of fame his only defeats are the two official losses to manny pacquiao and, and, and the third one if you don't count that as a win for him he then beat jesse vargas in a good fight to win another world title. He got ripped off in the Australia fight against Jeff Horn. He had a spectacular performance against Lucas Matisse, who was a good, solid guy for years, knocked him out, beat Adrian Broner easily, and then became the oldest welterweight champion in the history of boxing Yep, with a very impressive performance against Keith Thurman, and then he had the loss against Ugas and retired, and we're not sure if he's actually retired. My point is, he had a legit second act, if you will, or even third act, depending on where you look at his career, after... He went to sleep
1: against Marquez ten years ago today. As we taped this podcast on Thursday, and one more, say something real quick. The Mayweather Hatton fifteenth, that was fifteen years ago. On that, on that KO, and you were ringside as well. Say something real quick, and we'll get out of here. There's only one. Yeah. Listen, I've covered a lot of fights,
0: TJ, in my day, and not to you know toot my horn, but I have covered a shitload of big fights. I've been very fortunate. I don't right. ever. Take it for granted, not for one moment. I never have, and I never will. But to this day, just as a totality of the fight week, not the fight itself, it was it was it was a good fight, not a great fight. You got to understand that what was going on at that time. You have Ricky Hatton is undefeated, the junior welterweight world champion. Mayweather is undefeated, the welterweight champion. Ricky Hatton is moving up in weight. Most people look at that matchup and say the winner of that fight is pound for pound. Okay, I mean Mayweather was mm-hmm. considered better than Hatton at the time, but Big, 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 mega match. The British fans who support McCann traveled across the world. The MGM Grand Garden Arena holds like sixteen five for a boxing event thereabouts. They brought like thirty plus thousand people to Las Vegas.
1: Legions
0: just to party and drink and hang out and opened up the closed circuit locations and all that. And so when I tell you, I've told this story before. Twenty four hours a day, I was there all week. Twenty four hours us. a day. Yep, you told. I was us. covering the fight for ESPN, but I also was double duty because i had uh, a many many uh, assignments for sports center that week i was doing early morning hits on sports center to go back to the east coast so i'm getting up at like you know five in the morning to get down to the arena to do my shot and when you come down off the elevator it's right by like the little newsstand there and the little uh, convenience store right next to the to the to the lobby bar and i would stop in i would maybe get myself something to drink you know at the at the convenience store anyway five in the morning it's like five, six, seven deep for 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 uh, adult beverages at the lobby bar. And it didn't matter what time of day it was like that. The Brits were going nuts. No, uh, The the, the, the urban legend is eight o'clock. It didn't matter. matter. The urban legend was at the MGM. At one point in that fight, we ran out of beer. At the time, it was the biggest hotel in the world, 5,000. Um, but that to me is maybe the greatest experience in terms of the the electricity that just mm-hmm. crackled through the building for the whole week—the one of the greatest fight weeks ever—when they came and weighed in, uh, the arena was filled. The fans were singing that goddamn Ricky Hatton song. Uh, There's only one Ricky Hatton. I mean, that's it, still in my mind, you know, 15 years later. Even on the night of the fight, when Ricky got laid out by Mayweather in a spectacular knockout, where he knocked him into the ring post, he fell back he was out in the middle of the of the ring, like literally laying in the center of the ring. Uh, even then, the fans were still singing of Ricky Hatton after he got knocked out. I mean, that's how pissed drunk they were and how excited they were to be there. Uh, so my hat's off, as you can't see in the there video. I my hat off yep, I, I to can uh, verify the British fans. Uh, they made that fight week truly something special. i I will never forget that fight week as long as I live. It was a monster, monster, monster promotion, and frankly. We just don't have them anymore. It they, they just don't happen like that anymore. Even even the biggest Canelo fights or or Anthony Joshua fights or the Wilder Fury fights, they, I mean, they're big deals. Don't get me wrong. And I've covered those fights. Nothing matches the, again, the crackle of electricity through the MGM, no matter what time of day, where you're walking, a bar, a restaurant, a media center, down at the weigh-in, outside at the valet, in the coffee shop, at the you know, at the uh, at the restaurant, whatever it was, just an absolutely unforgettable. I wish every single boxing fan had the opportunity at some time in their life to just go and experience that type of atmosphere and 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 have the opportunity like I did to not only feel that and see that,
1: but to see all the ins and outs behind the scenes like we as reporters get an opportunity to do. Well said. And you just gave us a taste and you've done that before. But for the audience right now, you just got a taste. And that was 15 years ago. I cannot believe that.
0: And and by the way, that was the first 24-7. It wasn't the first one, but it was, they started the 24-7 series on HBO with Mayweather De La Hoya, which was uh, Mayweather's fight before he fought Ricky Hatton. mm -hmm. But the Mayweather-Ricky Hatton 24-7 was also something that was really spectacular that I believe truly helped build that promotion. Now, every fight now that there's a big fight, they do some kind of like cookie
1: cutter sort of Of shoulder
0: programming. But back then, the 24 sevens were something special. They it was cutting edge
1: and it like, made you want to watch the fight. Yeah. Big time.
0: And as a reporter, you would watch the 24 seven and you actually have things to write about the next day because things were divulged in this, in the episode that were newsworthy. And uh the one for Hatton versus Mayweather uh, was spectacular as it was for Mayweather versus De La Hoya.
1: All great stuff. All right. It's been a busy podcast, a lot covered here from the hall of fame, the passing of mills lane fight news, all these uh, championship fights that are going to go on, all these headlining fights that are going to go on, Terrence Crawford, Teofimo Lopez, Warrington, and uh, Luis Alberto Lopez in England. Uh, we didn't even mention Michael Conlon's also in action in, in Ireland, so got a bunch of action. You can read all about it. Dan Substack, also bigfightweekend.com, preview mode, recap mode, have a great weekend. Be safe getting to New York. Again, I'm on the opposite side of the continent in Santa Clara, California, for Buccaneer football with the 49ers. You're all the way on the other side of the continent, New York, at the Garden and the Top ranked Show and Teofimo. Why don't we reconvene? And again, for the peeps, we'll reconvene Monday, you and I. It'll be out Monday afternoon on the timeline. I know you're used to it being there earlier. We can't physically – I can't hey, physically listen. make it happen earlier. They'll get over it. They will get a podcast. And if you're following and subscribing, you'll get a podcast on Monday. We'll recap all of it. Listen, they'll get a ding. They'll get a bell the vibration get banner, they'll banner, get that'll tell them that the podcast vibration listen you're not done with me yet for the weekend we're done on this podcast well,
0: yeah, tell them to rate tell them to rate and review us also
1: they need to rate us and review us and give us a five star and say that Ray Feel is the best storyteller you've heard because those were some great <laughs> stories at the end of this podcast by the way you're not done with me yet we're done on this preview but you and i are back for the bet us show if you're hearing us chronologically one eastern time bet us platforms bet us youtube page even watch us after that on the YouTube page, we'll be giving some betting advice on the Crawford uh, title defense, the Lopez return to New York, and the Garden, the Warrington-Luis-Alberto-Lopez fight. We have all of that uh, to look forward to on the Bet US show one Eastern time Friday, or play us back later Friday or Saturday on BetUS. For now, we're good on the Big Fight Weekend Preview. Dan, have a great weekend. Thank you for all the stuff. You bet, my man. I will talk to you later. There is Dan Rayfield I'm Merely T.J. Reeves. Fight Freaks Unite comes your way on this podcast feed, usually Fridays in the morning or the early afternoon. Then we're back with a Fight Freaks Unite recap off the weekend. That'll be up next for us. Enjoy all the action, and thank you for being with us.